Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's associate director and your host, Hamish Peary. Welcome to this month's edition of Travcast. The Travcast are our writer's salon where I get the amazing opportunity to sit in a small, intimate room with writers and look into their eyes and find out about the truth of their craft. And today, I'm very excited that I have two writers in the room with me. They are John Nicholson and Stephen Kenny. John Nicholson is a writer and an actor, and Stephen Kenny is a playwright, director, and executive producer of BBC Comedy. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Very nice introduction. Very good Thank introduction. Yeah. Thank actually. Thanks a lot. It's great. So if one thing I'm really fascinated by with writers is, well, if, if, there was a, if I had a documentary camera on your life from the beginning, from the very beginning, all, all, the way, all the way going, when would be the moment when you'd press pause and you'd go, oh, that's evidence that I wanted to make stuff to show people. For me, it was like in a puddle with, uh, with action men. Ooh. Um, <laughs> well, uh, for me, I, I didn't... Um, John Nicholson speaking. I didn't expect to get into performing, and though I loved um, silent comedy, Mark Smothers, that kind of thing, and, and then went to circus school, and out of that formed a theatre company, and it, I guess it was at that point where I thought, actually, I just want to create my own work rather than do other people's plays, or well, that was initially. Um, so the idea to be a writer came out of the practicalities of it? The, well, the idea of being a writer came out of, uh, yeah, just, just w- wanting to create. I mean, the devising process is a kind of writing process as well. So, so I never really put pen to paper for the first few years of uh, working with, with the company that I formed, People Like Us. Um, uh, and it wasn't until later working with Steve that, that the, the actual pen to paper process began for me. All oh, right, so it was the first it was, it was together. I was, Steve had started writing long before, I think, hadn't he? Yeah, well, I, I, uh, yeah, I've been up to long silence because I've never said in public before um, that I always wanted to write like, f- like from very, very young from primary school sort of a thing I had a feeling I would like to be a writer and um and I did I'd never I've never thought about that until now um but I had that very strong urge um that I thought I'd write fiction in some way or another and then took a long time away from that and I wrote uh at college and wrote lots of plays through my 20s but I had I I was filled with the most incredible stupidity uh, and I had a really big thing about not wanting to do to do anything in my 20s as in I didn't want to write and have anything performed or to uh, so I was practicing I suppose I used my 20s to sort of practice um, and it didn't quite work out like that I started when I was about 28 or 29 to have things um, performed but uh, and I'm not, I now can't work out why I wanted to wait except that I was always slightly horrified by the sort of um, uh, assumption of people in their early 20s that they had some fantastic wisdom to share or impart um, 
but yeah, so yeah, I've confessed. I, I sort of always wanted to be a, a writer. I'm honoured mm. to have that confession. Talk <laughs> 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 oh, so to you about that moment where you were, so as a divisor, yeah. and then you go, oh, I want, and that is absolutely writing, devising, but then that moment when you go, okay, pen to paper, why did that happen? Obviously, how did that link as your, the meat? Well, for a very clear reason, actually, um, we were working on a production in 2006 of The Hound of the Baskervilles, and um, the production, for various reasons, fell apart, and we were we had funding to do the production, but we were without a writer, without a director. One of our actors um, was no longer <laughs> part of it, and uh, uh, so Steve came on board, and and I said to Steve, "Would you mind if I wrote it with you?" And he said, well, "Of course, you can. I I would be happy." for that to happen, because <laughs> I think the task for him was quite uh, a, a mountain as well. Um, we had a very... There was about a month, I think, wasn't there, from uh, from us meeting to having to have a draft. Yes. Something yeah, it like was that. A, yeah, was we, we were booked to do the show at um, Hand of the Basketballs at West Shropshire Playhouse, and, um, and it... And it fell apart in quite a spectacular way. So we had to sort of gather up all yeah. the pieces and, and and get it together very quickly. So we sat down and, yeah, just spent a month mm. together just bashing out this story. Mm. Um, what had happened before was that the script that exists, there was a script before um, the, the script that John and I wrote, and um, it was just a series of, no, not just a series, it was a very funny script. It was a sort of front cloth comedy, just a lot of very good gags for... John and Javier, essentially, but it didn't tell the story of the Hand of the Baskervilles, and we were booked into big venues, the show was booked into big venues with a view to a big tour and everything else, and ostensibly it didn't tell the story of the Hand of the Baskervilles at that point. <laughs> so that, as a piece of writing, it's really interesting just, uh, well, it's interesting to me, it might not be to anyone who's listening to this, but it strikes me as interesting that what happened was a company who had spent a lot of time devising and working together and understanding how one another worked suddenly had an exterior eye on the whole thing and all I did was I, I read um, The Hand of the Baskervilles and I, I think the first thing I did was to write a scene breakdown, didn't I, that was like, that just told the story of the, the Hand of the Baskervilles. Yeah. And actually, if anybody has seen um, the Arthur Conan Doyle Appreciation Society by the time they hear this or indeed anything else that John and I have done, the, the clown story, the, the performer's part in it is, is as important as the story that we tell the Hand of the Baskervilles in that instance so that was only really half the job but it was just a big chunk of getting that story organised and that we could know that we could tell the story of the Hand of the Baskervilles in a way that satisfied an audience and then we could do a lot of other stuff that would be funny hopefully um, alongside it uh, but it was a, but that really set a sort of template for how John and I would work and we've done mm. quite a few plays now, six, mm. six, six or seven plays or something together have we? Yeah, I'm Counted recently, so like yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, is it, and is it always working that format? Do you come in and, and put down the order of the story, so to speak, and the structure of it? No, no, it hasn't worked out like that. We've done, we've we've definitely varied. Uh, like each project's been completely different. There's been lots of talking uh, around each project, just mm. in a very kind of general way around the subject matter, um, and going way, way off or beyond what mm. the show actually eventually becomes. But, and that's 
that's been a lot of sitting around in pubs really hasn't it mm, definitely or talking the on the phone because we i live in edinburgh john lives in bristol and and we have very long phone calls where we'll just talk every like talk everything out and actually neither of us are taking notes at that point we're not writing anything i think it's that mm. point where we're sort of ordering our thoughts as much as anything is and and when you're a writer that's the lonely bit ordinarily because you sit and do it on your own uh but we but it's mm. great we managed to it's a social activity as well so it can happen in a pub or it can happen on the phone or it can happen yeah kind of anywhere and it feels productive it feels like a positive thing to be engaged in and it's very much about sort of events of the day as well isn't it it's just mm. sort of and steve works in the bbc so that so it is i i, I guess quite Political, I guess I'd say you are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm neutral, isn't that? That's my, absolutely my role in life. I'm impartial. <laughs> impartial, yes, yeah. with the BBC. Uh, politically aware. Politically yeah. aware, that's the one. And uh, and I tend to kind of drone on about things that um, I know very little about, but uh, <laughs> get quite excited about. And Steve sort of forces me to be a little bit more... Um, uh, bring those thoughts together into something that makes sense we did it we did a play um we wrote a play together which is now called um the importance of being honest and was called for its run um spicy and uh and that was a really that's a really good example of how our writing process sort of works because john and i thought we were going to set the world to rights with this expose of um, the sort of uh, worst aspect of Russian influence on British society and particularly around the killing of Alexander Litvinenko. And John and I became rather um, impassioned about, <laughs> about this poor, the end to this man's life and, and um, the political uh, events that led up to that. And um, so we talked for months about mm. this and read all the books about Litvinenko and kind of did all this research. <laughs> and then, uh, but that did sort of that was conversation. You know, that was about sitting. And I can remember we were living in uh, on a, in a farm um, in Herefordshire at the time, and uh, and I can remember sitting by the fire talking to John for a whole afternoon on the phone, where we were just getting more and more worked up about. Mm. <laughs> and actually what that materialised as was this show that was called Spicy at the time which was a really stupid funny, I mean I love I, excuse the sort of vanity I think, it's, I think it's a really funny show and a really uh, good show but it has no political <laughs> absolutely no political content at all. well a, li uh, a little bit but, um, but it came from a place of, of hours and hours of impassioned um, discussion and it distilled down into a farce um, and, it, and, it's a, and it's a very silly knockabout farce. Mm. And was that naturally, was there a moment where you went, okay, this shouldn't be about that, it should be about this? Oh no, it, it was about that, it is about that. Yeah. It is, I should say it is about Libanyenko and, and it has some substance and it is about um, a man being poisoned by uh, a nefarious um, Russian, nameless Russian. Um, it is. It has all of that. It has lots of story that we talked about, um, but it also is just. But all that all that became a vehicle for, for to have fun yeah. with. So so people, well, we wanted to write a comedy and people enjoy the comedy, and so that's what they were most interested in, as opposed to feeling that that it was some kind of agitprop 
piece of theatre. Yeah. I think we thought it might be. Yeah. We? Yeah. You know, we hoped that it might be banned or something. Not a single review. It was <laughs> <laughs> and not a single review mentioned the politics at all. No. <laughs> at, at all. No one noticed. And yet, so there isn't that wonderful idea of you sort of making people laugh and then telling them the truth at the same <coughs> time. It just that, becomes about... That's what we, we ended up sending that up in the play. That's, that's well, exactly the more we, earnestly you yeah. try to do that in yeah. a comedy, the more stupid it becomes. Yeah. Which is, which, I mean, and I think for for comedy, it's, it's a good place to start mm. from a very serious perspective. You know, if you start by saying, "Well, let's write a show where uh, I don't know, everybody turns out to be the opposite sex, or something," um, <laughs> it's a terrible idea. <laughs> I don't know anyway, show to be honest. <laughs> then, or, or if you start with a comic idea, yeah, then. Um, uh, then I, th I think you're you're going to walk into a bit of a trap. But if you if you s start earnestly and then think, well, how can we undercut that? How can we play with that? How can because I, I think at the also at the heart of it, I think comedy has to have a sense of wanting to get it right. Mm. And then when you actually get it wrong, that's when it's funny. We've only done one. It might be worth just thinking about this because. Um, We've only done one thing where we started from an idea that was given to us by someone else and that was an absurd idea. It was a, and I won't name the project because... Don't it, talk about that. <laughs> it, <laughs> They're but, both sweating. But because but, but we wrote, we wrote a, a, a thing that didn't work at all, and that's fine, that's good. I mean, it's good to have had that experience. It felt painful at the time, but there we are. Mm. Um, but on reflection, one of, the, one of the problems was that it started... It was a silly starting point that neither John nor I felt any particular passion for. Mm. It was commissioned as part of a series, a season, um, and we gave it our best shot. But actually, as writers, you ended up feeling, and it's one of the few things we've done, and we were talking about this earlier this week, actually, it's one of the first things I've ever experienced in my life where you just, you can't rewrite it. Like everything else we do, it, the rewriting process is is the job you you get the words on the page and then actually the play becomes formed in the re in those conversations and the rewriting and the reworking and with the project that i'm avoiding naming <laughs> um every time we rewrote it it got worse and and it came from such a bad place in terms of mm. wh what we felt about the project and every time we sat down to discuss it it felt like work which is the first time that's ever happened as well mm. and it's just curious to reflect if you haven't got some sort of brilliantly pompous central idea, which is what most of our work has started out doing. Um, it's much less pleasurable exploring it and trying to and and that piece well, we, in particular no substance. To bend it into something that we were interested in. Yeah. It didn't. It didn't fit. No, because you as artists weren't were being pigeonholed and actually. Well, we'd asked to write, write not just write about. We were asked to write about something in a very specific way. Yeah. Um, and and the the initial stimulus, um, I think I think the person that commissioned it had a different idea about what it would end up being, mm. um, and uh, and so there was a constant sort of tussle about. I think we would have ditched the idea and said, we know what we can write you. We can write you something different, but um, uh, will be better. But they wanted what they had set out. With anyway. We're being really obtuse, aren't we? There, there well, we are. That's the past. <laughs> <laughs> <It's all laughs> but, so that's one of the empowering things about writing as people like us, I suppose, is that you're always, you're in sense, some sense, your own company. This is the production we're here to talk, we're here because of. The Arthur and Core British Society is a 
Traverse Theatre Production in association with People Like Us, which is essentially yeah. your company, so that gives you that power, I suppose. Well, and it's and we we know how to write for that group of people, mm. or well, essentially me and Javier and whoever else we bring in. But um, but that that gives that's a huge starting point to know that that relationship, or that, that within the writing there has to be that relationship between myself and Javier that is sort of at the core of it. You talked about that because you're writing for it's, it's clowning. Would you say? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what you've talked about at the beginning about having set up this idea of pomposity and then underlining it seems to be the core and what's so exciting about that. Mm. What makes you... How do you write for clowning? Because one imagines clowning being something that's more devised and happening live in front of us. But is it harder to actually go, OK, right, but just because you imagine it in your heads? Uh, well, a bit of both. Um, and the... Th- third bit of that is that you leave a bit of space for what's happening now we're sitting in the rehearsal room and um and the play the production um is you can't separate what we do in the writing process and what happens here this is just an extension of the writing process and um uh, so we've been lucky enough we've done several things with orla um who just understands the the um, starting point the spark for the humour in the piece and then just explores that through rehearsal so there are bits um i think i hope john will agree i mean there are bits in this script that we sort of know will work and are strong and whatever there are other bits where we've probably left gaps in order to find the play in the rehearsal room and just and it sounds like an excuse that you don't have to write so you just leave it to be made up in the rehearsal room and to a certain extent that's true um you trust an awful lot on what's going to happen in the rehearsal room uh but Actually, knowing John as performer, Javier as performer, having had a read-through two months ago with Gabe, um, Gabriel Quigley, um, it's that thing of you you, you know the core of the humour, you know that... Um, and the, the purpose about the clan thing is that you know what people's strengths and their weaknesses are and you know where their pomposity lies and you know what it is that the audience will read from the actors so you can write that into the structure of your piece. Well, I, I actually began uh, as a member of a devising theatre company. That was my first professional work in theatre, that I was an actor, writer, deviser, collaborator. Uh, And so that approach isn't a million miles away from how we're working on this show. Um, That although we have a real solid backbone of a script, things are evolving and changing all the time and the script feels like a really fantastic offer but never an offer that constrains all the possibilities or different outcomes of how we um, present it. Um, so what's different? Having the writer in the room is always brilliant because uh, you've always got an answer. And John is um, such an open and playful and joyful collaborator. Um, he is as interested in, the, in finding the best outcomes as I am. So he's not precious about anything Although he's really great at when we think, oh, we'll change that or we don't need that. Just gently reminding us that we do. Because, of course, he's the expert because it's his, it's his and Steve's words. Talk to me about that <coughs> idea of what, of, what, of what clowning is to you two. Because I see you talk quite a lot about the fact that you have the clowns in the show and then you have the story in the show. You mm-hmm. mentioned that a couple of times and it's really rich in your work. And seeing those people crumble in front of us is what really attracts me to your work. And what, what's the import for you? What's the importance of clowning? Of that idea, because people, people remember clowning is a mixed thing, isn't it? We all know as a child, some people may know about the, mm. the red nose mm. and all that. But what you're looking at is 
it's a different form of clowning, isn't it? Yes, I mean, I, I sort of stopped using the word clowning, or as a company, certainly we did, because it is a tricky one. People have kind of connotations about, or ideas about what clowning is. And I, I, for me, I suppose it's about an uh, actor trying to do something really well, but actually not quite being up to the job. And just in terms of the, the writing, what we've discovered, and in fact what we discovered in that very first script that we're talking about, um, the Hound of the Baskervilles, that we had before Steve and I wrote uh, the script, was that one was full of jokes. And, and if Steve and I write a scene that's full of jokes, not, not always, this isn't always the case, but often those jokes end up being lost mm. because actually when you come to do them on stage, they feel very forced as jokes. And actually just a really straight scene, that, there's a really good example actually of um, a scene in Hand of the Baskervilles where it wasn't written as a, a funny scene. It was Holmes and Watson um, discovering that they think, or they think that Sir Henry Baskerville is dead and we had a dummy on stage. And Javier played the scene, but in his anger just started kicking the dummy, uh, booting it around the stage. And, and I was getting very worked up um, because I felt betrayed by Holmes. He was really worked up. And, uh, and it just became the most stupid scene. But if you were to read it, um, it's, it, there's no jokes in it whatsoever. Actually, I think I would call myself a clown. Uh, but uh, because we did a lot of clown shows and people like us uh, sprang out from clown, physical clowns uh, shows, we were kind of trying to define it. I didn't remember at the time. We are clowns, but no clowns with a red nose. We are no circus clown. We are more theater clown. But I think that we have a lot of clown in, in our show, the clown as we understand it with this, in a way, I don't know, reflecting the human stupidity, if you want. Uh, everybody has a bit of clown in them. It's just that kind of uh, simple openness and humanity that we all have, try to bring it on, on the stage. But this clown background, I find it very useful for everything. So when you talk about acting, I think, you know, seeing a an actor, a person on the stage that is open and that, you know, taps into your imagination. It could be a clown, or it could be uh, through doing Macbeth or whatever, but it's kind of, it's like a seed that you can see it in good performance. I call, I call clown ma many things that people will say, oh, I didn't think that was clowning. I think that's a really, really key point about what we've done and we wrote lots of jokes uh, and they always felt really contrived and actually the humor I, it is slightly uncomfortable to use the clown or clowning um, word or term uh, because and we've talked we sometimes talk about the actors sometimes talk about the clowns sometimes talk about the performers whatever but the, that's always trying to find the language for the people who are present in the piece so and that partly comes from a thing where I'm I'm a bit nervous about people pretending to be other people. I'm a bit nervous about the fiction of, of mm. acting. I'm a bit nervous about <laughs> okay, it. Okay, it's always worked in that industry. I, I feel, yeah, uh, yeah. But when you make stuff and you put words into someone's mouth and they're pretending to be someone else, uh, and there's a moment of, um, for me, there's a moment that distant, I can never quite bridge that gap there's the, between what they're saying they are and what they are. And that's that, the gap between those two things is sort of the territory that we play in, that gap between those 
those two realities. I had formed relationships with imaginary friends, but these friends were more than just imaginary. Uh, I could create people who literally came alive, who populated another dimension, a dimension that I could spend whole afternoons playing in. These were friends who were just like my real friends. They were my real friends. I understood what Granny Mooney was telling me now. In order to understand Arthur, I needed to bring him alive in the same way. Mr. Doyle? Mr. Doyle. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't find it presumptuous. <laughs> but of course, you cannot see inside my head. I needed a solution. I put a small advert in the stage, which for those of you who aren't aware, is a theatrical publication for and about the theatrical professions. Two male actors required for an illustrated lecture about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. A week later, back in my kitchen, Ms. Quigley, alongside Javier Marthan, Hola. I'm the Joint Artistic Director of a company called People Like Us. You might have heard of us. I hadn't. Hmm. Well, we're actually working on an Arthur Conan Doyle-inspired show ourselves, so your project sounds really interesting. Let's chat. Aside from Arthur Conan Doyle, there were many people that populated the inside of Miss Quigley's head. Including some of his friends, like Houdini, family members, and, of course, his fictional characters, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, that, um, can I just mention at this point, Gabe, will feature in a production that Javier and I are working on ourselves, available for booking next year. The complete Sherlock Holmes. Every Sherlock Holmes story rolled into one. And some of those scenes will actually feature in this illustrated lecture, so you'll have uh, a little preview. Yeah, the thing is, Gabe, we've got a couple of people in tonight. and uh, What people? Theatre people. And the, uh, ki the King's Theatre and the Playhouse, aren't they? Yeah. And we, we were just wondering if we could just slip in a couple of extra scenes. What? Oh, OK, just one extra. The Reichenbach Falls. Just that one. Good, Good choice. choice. So back to tonight. We will now bring Arthur Conan Doyle alive. Not literally. You never know. Through a series of dramatised encounters. Anything is possible. Javier, there's no such thing. It's all tricks. 1883. Are you denying what we witnessed at the real Medicine's close? There's a perfectly rational explanation for that. Yeah, you were pretty freaked out. There was a bit of wooey, no. as I remember. We are going to transport you now to Portsmouth. Just because there isn't an immediate explanation doesn't mean we should leap to the assumption that it's something inexplicable. It wasn't inexplicable. It was a ghost. Yeah, precisely. Why assume that we know? Why assume that ghosts exist? Based on what? Sightings, experiences, evidence. Or simple delusions. It feels more comfortable to me for the audience to be in on the joke. So to be in on knowing that we're trying to do this really well as performers and we're just playing this character for you, to be in on that joke it feels to me to be a more grown-up relationship than just to be pretending to be some other people. In the world, what makes you laugh? Steve? Tons of stuff. Just give me a couple of examples. <laughs> the things I return to, um, Forty Towers, Mighty Boosh. Um, I work in comedy, so I, uh, a lot of things make me laugh. Uh, I, I'm lucky, I'm blessed. I get to watch and listen to stuff all day. Amazing. Um, I, as I said, the Marx Brothers, lots of silent comedy, Stan Laurel. Um, yeah, there's, there's a great quote actually from uh, the guy that is the head of the Sons of the Desert 
society and for Lauren Hardy. And he is asked if he still laughs at Lauren Hardy films. And he says, well, I don't laugh anymore, but I just love to be in their company. And I think that's the, the, the sign of great <laughs> comedy is that you're not necessarily falling off a chair, but you just you mm. sort of want to be there with those people. And I, I was talking about this the other day, but say like with Father Ted, that I think is, is brilliant. Um, and it's, it's a pretty desolate um, setting mm. and pretty, not objectionable characters, but I mean, they're wonderful characters, but they're, the, the reality of being in that situation, you would think would be sort of quite hellish. I mean, it's very different to sort of say being in Friends or something like that. Well, that would be a nightmare as well, but, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, something that's much more palatable, much easier to, but actually it's just the warmth of those characters regardless of the setting and you just sort of want to be with them and I, I think that that's always the mark of really great comedy mm. and with that we would all like to be I hope all like to be in the company of the company of the Arthur Derek Condor Appreciation Society at the Travers Theatre thank you so much both of you for spending mm. time talking to me it's been a real pleasure and an honour thank you yeah, thanks for having We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.